Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to the Edinburgh Television Festival for a special edition of Talking TV. We've joined the ranks of Tally Royalty for the annual jaunt to Scotland and we'll chew over the major themes of this year's festival. Top of the pile is Channel 4 Chief Executive David Abraham's feisty McTaggart lecture, where he took on Sky, US Studios and Terms of Trade. We'll hear from the man himself on his plans. Also on the show is TV Racist, why the issue of diversity is here to stay. Plus, we'll rummage through some of the brilliant and bizarre commissioning announcements from the controllers this year. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. So we're tucked away in a little corner of the Edinburgh International uh, Conference Centre and I'm delighted to say that we're joined by an illustrious panel of guests. Uh, Broadcast editor Chris Curtis is here, as is Alison Kirkham, the Head of Features and Formats for BBC One and BBC Two. Last but not least, we have Nine Lives Chief Executive Kat Lewis. Welcome to you all. Hello. Hello. Let's start simple, shall we? Putting the McTaggart to one side, Uh, more on that later. Can we have your festival highlights, please? Gary Lineker. <laughs> Gary Lineker match of the day. Who, the match of the who day you session. booked, Alison? Is that right? That is just a, a, no a detail. There. That's just a detail. Spurs le- Chris was right to point out he was a Spurs legend. You and I have that in common, Jake. Yes. Spurs. There will be no greater highlight than Gary Lineker appearing. What was the, what was the inside track on match of the day? No, it was just it, it was a funny session. Robbie was hilarious. There was quite a poignant moment when they talked about Paul Gascoigne. Uh, it was just it was good fun and entertaining. I think there's a lot of sort of intellectual posturing that goes on in Edinburgh and it's refreshing every so often to just have a session that celebrates TV as a form of entertainment. And what about you, Kat? My highlights, um, Channel 4's new comedy drama, the TX pilot of Catastrophe, which is going out next year. It was just fantastic and it's very much in the cold feet territory, but very 2015. I think it'll do really well for them. So another programming highlight. Yeah, you've got to enjoy the festival and it is inspiring to see great work. And Chris? I've enjoyed some of the little contretemps that have been going on. It's been quite a feisty festival. So we've had Danny Cohen and John McVeigh sort of getting slightly feisty with one another. Uh, in fact, John McVeigh and, and, and David Abraham as well have, uh, have sort of um, been exchanging a few words. And overall, yeah, it feels like quite a feisty Edinburgh. OK, uh, on to the more serious stuff and David Abraham's uh, McTaggart lecture. Dressed in a three-piece suit, the Channel 4 chief executive delivered a polished performance, demanding that Sky pay to carry its services and arguing that it should be handed the chance to strike more flexible deals with the rapidly consolidating indie sector. Here's the man himself on stage and some reaction from three sceptical Scots. As the market changes around us, flexibility to evolve our deal terms is becoming increasingly important for the future of four. We are looking for a regime that allows us to make the best of the opportunity to innovate new digital services. This benefits audiences and advertisers and also allows us to earn a fair return on the risk capital that we invest in developing, commissioning and marketing new shows. So we will look to Ofcom to devise measures for a healthy and diverse market for programme supply in the future. I'm Alan Clements from uh, the Director of Content at STV. I thought the speech was incredibly well delivered and very polished and I think it's the starting gun of a huge debate around terms of trade. The assumption that American ownership immediately, automatically means a death of creativity is quite a difficult one to make 
but I think that'll be an interesting debate going forward. I thought some of the jokes worked quite well, but I thought some of the digs at other broadcasters were perhaps slightly ill-advised. My name is Alex Graham. I was until last year uh, a UK independent producer. I ran a company called Wall to Wall. I am precisely the kind of person that David regards as a threat uh, to the future of British television. I built a business, uh, took some risks, made some successful programs, sold the business to an American studio. I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> the first thing to say is that you know I, I completely support his impassioned plea for a strong public service broadcasting sector. You know, the mix of public and private in this country has been absolutely critical to underpinning the creative success. But the truth of the matter is that this is 2014, it isn't 1982. And my worry is that the subtext of David's speech is, wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to the 1980s when all independent producers were small and impoverished and struggling? Uh, because that way uh, Channel 4 could push them around a bit more and do better deals with them. And we're not. You know, we're a, we're a grown-up sector, we're hugely successful and we're deservedly part of a global economy. And my worry is, you know, David's attempt, as I see it, to turn the clock back, first of all, it's doomed to failure. Secondly, I actually don't think it's going to be a good thing for creativity and risk in this country. The truth is, you know, David says freedom and hunger drive creativity? Well, I think freedom certainly does. But, you know, I've been a small, hungry independent, and I've been a larger, successful independent, and I can tell you hunger does not drive anything other than a fear of the future and a fear of risk-taking. I'm John McVeigh, I'm Chief Executive of PACT, which represents British independent film, TV, children's and animation producers. I honestly don't understand what David's talking about in terms of the terms of trade, because the facts are, if you're a big, non-qualifying, American-owned production company, you don't get them, by law. If you're a legitimate indie, you do get them. Every single version of the terms of trade I've negotiated with Channel 4, and indeed all the broadcasters, has balanced out our needs to get revenues from secondary exploitation with their needs to get more uses on the primary commission. So Channel 4 in the last terms of trade got more uses for nothing. They don't even pay us for 4.7. They got all that use in 4.7 with no payment to the producers. So I don't understand what he's talking about when he wants to do more on digital or all the rest of it. Because two years ago, when they were desperate to launch 4.7, I had his team beating a path to my door, desperate for us to help them. I think the big problem here is the last chief executive who was saying, looking for things, was Andy Duncan, and he looked to top slice the BBC. This looks like a Channel 4 executive looking to top slice the independent sector. The great thing about the terms of trade, they were brought in to not support little tiny independent producers. They were brought in to address buyer power and the fact that the suppliers to Channel 4, the BBC and 5 had been regally screwed in terms of what was a fair deal over many, many years. So when I hear a broadcaster tell me that it will be special terms and they're fair, I worry about that. And especially if they want regulation which dictates what fair is on their half. The terms of trade were brought in so that Channel 4 and the broadcasters have to come to a negotiation, right? And that is a tough job to do. Sometimes they win things out like that, sometimes we do. But it's a negotiation in the market, and I've done three terms of trade. None of them are the same now as the first one. They're all completely different, and Channel 4, in every successive version of those terms, got more uses, was able to do more things. So what's the problem? The market will deliver it 
we need to get out to the secondary market and make a margin we need to get international and make a margin they need more use in the primary they're getting it what's the problem do you not think there's more room to protect smaller companies Smaller companies are protected by Channel 4 funding development properly, by not making producers overdevelop with no payment. Smaller companies are protected by Channel 4 actually sticking to the terms they've agreed with us, paying on time, uh, agreeing on the margins. That's how you protect the small guys. The big guys are going to bring huge amounts of money to the table because Channel 4 is not going to put all the money up for them. So if I'm a huge American-owned production company putting 40% of the cost on the table, then I'm sorry, I'm having a different conversation. If I'm a small indie from Manchester and Channel 4 is 100% financing it, and internationally it's not going to be worth anything my only opportunity to make a margin beyond the tiny production fee I'll be allowed is exploitation so if they're now talking about taking that off me copyright means nothing but aren't they talking about taking that off the big studios or at least getting tougher with the big studios clarify that right by law the US production companies are not entitled to regulated terms of trade, only qualifying independent producers. If you read Clause 285 of the Communications Act, it's very, very clear. And I am shocked by both Channel 4 and Danny Cohen at the BBC talking about this as if there's a problem. They are allowed by law, as indeed Channel 4 do, to negotiate their own bespoke arrangements with those suppliers. So it's entirely up to them. And if the suppliers don't like it, they won't go to Channel 4. And if Channel 4 don't look like them, they won't commission them. That sounds pretty fair to me. Where do you all go from here? Channel 4 presumably wants to get around the negotiating table. and We have just finished terms of trade negotiation with Channel 4. There is a new set of terms. Done. If they want to come and talk to us about anything, that's fine. But coming to talk to us with a gun against our head uh, with regulation is an entirely different thing about deal terms because you've got to understand the regulation as it is doesn't dictate the commercial terms. It only says Channel 4 can't own it, there's got to be a licence and you've got to reach an agreement about the primary and secondary rights. That's the only thing the legislation says. It doesn't say about what the revenue splits are, how long you get, how many uses, what repeat fees are. That's a negotiation. That's negotiated between me, i.e. Pact, and the broadcaster. Sometimes they don't get the deal they want. Boo-hoo! It's a grown-up world. Uh, So, Chris, fair to say it's uh, polarised delegates here. What's your take? We knew that charter renewal for the BBC was going to be a lot of um, lobbying and uh, the sort of political side of the, uh, things was going to come to the fore. It's now pretty clear that that's going to encompass Channel 4 as well. And this is all the starting gun of the PSB review, really. Up here in Edinburgh, there's a lot of people who work for Super Indies who are here. And there is a feeling that David was sort of going after that, going after the Super Indies, especially the foreign-owned companies. And that stirred things up. You know, it's ruffled a few feathers. If a sign of a good McTaggart is to start a few debates, start a few arguments, then uh, I think it's definitely succeeded. Kat, what was your view on this? Well, as Vice Chair of PACT particularly, the terms of trade are incredibly important. But also, as somebody who runs a small independent outside London, I couldn't run my company if it wasn't for the terms of trade. The revenue is absolutely vital to me. You can't run any business in any sector on a 10% profit margin. It just doesn't work. And I know that because we make current affairs, which doesn't sell internationally. And, you know, if we make a 10% profit margin, we're lucky. And it's difficult to manage. 
manage in those kind of genres. So it really worries me that they're talking about reopening the legislation, particularly because the super indies that are owned by broadcasters don't qualify anyway. You know, the broadcasters do not have to pay terms of trade. They don't have to give terms of trade in their contract negotiations to any independent that's owned by a broadcaster. And therefore, the legislation doesn't need to change. The other thing that's important to remember is that only 22% of content across all the British channels are made by super indies, whereas 48% is still made by ITV in-house and BBC in-house. So really, reopening the legislation when it's resulted over the last 10 years in our industry tripling, the independent sector is three times bigger than it was before the terms of trade came in in 2003. I just think it would be a huge mistake, and so do most independents. So, so I thought that some small companies would be heartened by this message, because what Channel 4 is effectively saying is we, we want to protect the smaller guys a bit more. They won't be protecting the smaller guys if they change the terms of trade. And I think having kind of, you know, this idea of, oh, well, you're a small indie, so you qualify for, you know, keeping 85% of the revenue, owning the IP. But what if I change? What if I'm suddenly more successful? You know, do, do I then kind of, how do I do a long-term business plan? It's just not going to work. At the moment, the legislation is very robust. People that are owned by broadcasters don't qualify, and that's quite right. The BBC don't actually choose to have different terms of trade for those super indies that don't qualify and in my opinion they should do that the legislation is there for those guys to be treated differently so and Chris I gather you had a few moments with him earlier today so tell us about that uh, yeah it was interesting to um, to grab a quick word with him I kicked off by asking about whether or not the target speech was an attempt to safeguard secure Channel 4's uh, position in the broadcasting sector what I wanted to say was that Channel 4 is in fine health uh, creatively and commercially at the moment but as there is a PSB review and a charter review it is a good time to step back and look more broadly at how the PSB sector is operating particularly in the context of the amount of international activity that's been going on this year. You, you seem to be casting Channel 4 slightly as the champion of the true indie sector. Is that a fair reading of things? Well, it's part of our remit to uh, help to stimulate the creative economy at the, at the kind of smaller end. That's sort of really written into, the, in, into what we're expected to do. So with the changes that have been going on, we did want to take the opportunity of, um, uh, of kind of raising the debate about what, what, a, what a British indie is and, and, and whether or not um, this term super indie is actually now misleading because what we really mean by Super Indie is a studio that's probably owned by an American mm -hmm. uh, corporation. And has the, the McTaggart lecture perhaps put you on collision course with some of your biggest suppliers? Well, I hope not, because at the end of the day, um, the market for ideas is open and it's free, and the market for talent is open. So I wouldn't expect that to be uh, the case. We uh, buy lots of shows from America and we work with a lot of the larger companies. This was a much more specific argument that was being put, which is the Americans have really had a great time. They've come in, the public service broadcasters have mostly funded quite a lot of the development, they've kept the rights and they've sold the shows around the world and it's uh, created really fantastic valuations for all the companies. So all I was really saying was, is it time now in the light of where we've got to, to reset and have a fresh look at how this regime works? Indeed, and the sense I get is that in some ways the hard work starts now in terms of Channel 4 coming up with some proposals maybe around what the mechanisms might be for uh, a, a new iteration of Terms of Trade. Yeah, and I wanted to reassure everyone, and frankly I'm slightly surprised that uh, John has, has been as 
uh, quote unquote as shocked as he is because we're actually being quite modest in our uh, proposals in my view we uh, recognize that IP will stay with the Indies uh, we um, re we recognize that control of international distribution should stay with the Indies what we want is a is a more intelligent way in which we can calibrate the difference between an indie and and a studio and channel 4 specifically and to be honest quite practically just thinks that we're leaving value on the table in primary and secondary and digital rights so we want to enter into a grown-up negotiation with PAC, not one based on the premise that we're an oligopoly based on the structure that existed 20 years ago. Frankly, I find that absurd. I think you used in the um, Postman Taggart uh, interview the, the term ancient to describe the legislation as clearly a, a feeling now that the, the world's moved on, things need to change. Well, we, we know that, the, that no one could have anticipated the structure of the market that we now are in um, with um, PSB uh, license, commercial license fees, uh, license holders being... Um, uh, acquired or potentially acquired by um, American players um, and this does change the marketplace and I think it's uh, it's responsible I think the British public would expect a responsible and a grown-up conversation to now take place not one based on the concept of uh, oligopolies from the past. You made the, the point in your, in your speech David that creativity and consolidation commerciality aren't always uh, the easiest mixture is it fair to say that one of the messages um, in the speech was to the indie sector, you saying, be careful who you get into bed with? Not necessarily, because I think that, you know, there are many good examples of very creative companies that, that are big uh, and that are American. But I'm, I was simply, I suppose, r reminding the audience that there's a British way of doing things too. We have a particular balance in this country, which I say in the speech, between the public uh, and the commercial value of the work that we do. And I think it's worth, at an occasion like in McTaggart and at Edinburgh, to remind ourselves of that. And certainly I think I was speaking for quite a strong body of opinion in the industry that we should be proud of the way that we have done things and that we shouldn't um, be afraid to state that back to the global market. And finally, you, uh, you put the issue of um, carriage fees, retransmission fees back on the agenda. I wonder, you, you sounded um, as though you were quite confident that you might be able to make some progress on this. I'm wondering if you can sort of explain that a little bit and also whether you're expecting ITV and the BBC to maybe join you in that, uh, in that quest. Well, I think we're, we are uh, not speaking uh, as a group on this issue. I took the opportunity to describe uh, how Channel 4 is thinking about the value uh, as a PSB that we think we bring to pay platforms. We think there is a huge anomaly in the current system whereby, for example, under this regulation called Section 73, we're obliged to allow the cable platforms to uplink our signal for free, whilst on the Sky platform we're obliged to pay them for the slots that our channels appear on, whilst they are prepared to pay us for some of the services that we provide, like 4OD, that are already in existence free to customers. And this creates all sorts of anomalies in homes that, for example, don't have an aerial, uh, which make no sense unless you go back and you reset the regulation in a new place that recognises the value that we bring. The, the fact is the British public enjoy the public service channels. Uh, we are still uh, the predom predominantly viewed uh, channels overall um, and we're continuing to appeal to audiences uh, across our digital portfolios. So we just think we want a grown-up conversation uh, that's facilitated by Ofcom and government whereby we can have uh, that uh, debate and not be threatened by the pay platforms uh, by arguments that really are uh, now quite historic. 
and the understanding well, the situation at the moment appears to be that in terms of what Sky is pre- is prepared to offer Channel 4 that it's kind of some sort of services in kind or it's things that perhaps don't add up to the value that you're attributing to um, uh, what it is that, that Channel 4 brings to, to them. That's right. Um, we would say that um, in, in a sense if you look at the international scene and where the public broadcasters uh, on the whole in developed markets uh, do receive uh, recognition for the value of the audiences they're models that could be um, that can be very instructive uh, and what we want to in- engage in now is a proper conversation about this uh, rather than one where we're accused of seeking a government subsidy which is a very uh, misleading way of describing what we uh, believe we're asking for As a public broadcaster, we're not in a position to withdraw our channels from any play platforms because we have an obligation to the public to provide the service for free. Sky are very well aware of that, and my sense is they're exploiting that position uh, in order to prevent us from asking what would be, in my view, fair. That was David Abraham. Alison, do you recognise this picture that David paints of big indies becoming more and more powerful in the market and perhaps having more sway over commissioning decisions and more power, basically. It's funny, as a commissioner, you even the indies that are owned by the big conglomerates and that are consolidated into the big groups, you still tend to deal with them in a, a one-on-one basis. So you will still meet them as Lion or Wall-to-Wall or Optiman. You, you, you don't act with them as all three or Warners. Or, so in day-to-day dealings, when we're talking about ideas, you're dealing with a creative who you believe in or not, and you're wrestling with an idea. So it, it doesn't affect me as much. I mean, I think where you are beginning to see it a little bit, and I know you're quite interested in what Peter Fincham said about the American style of commissioning is, when there is a big brand or a big idea that's being developed, often the bigger indies will bring it over. You know, the, 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 they'll have bought the big idea internationally and they'll bring it to us. So in that sense, they're different than the smaller indies, yeah. Chris, you were interested in Fincham's point, weren't you? Uh, in terms of the, the pitching model... Yeah, I mean, he was saying effectively that... Uh, UK commissioning structures are starting to become more similar to America. Yeah, and he was and he was uh, attributing that to the consolidation. I think what's really interesting at the moment is all this consolidation has happened, and it's only now that we're starting to get an understanding of what it actually means, how it's going to actually um, practically impact the market. And Peter's point was that um, if more production companies in the UK are US owned then maybe US-style pitching will, will, will come over. And he, he said he'd experienced it. Danny Cohen said the same thing. Jay Hunt was less uh, convinced. He thought that culturally there was too much of a difference and that, that bro- UK broadcasters still want to feel as though what they're being pitched is a bespoke piece of content that's been designed solely for them and, and, and their channel. Generally, shows that are hits could sit on more than one channel. So often when you're on commissioning panels, they'll ask you at the end, uh, what's your favourite show from another channel? You know, I'm often on panels with ITV people and I'll say, I'd love Long Lost Family and they'll say, I love DIY SOS. So though I think, uh, you know, around, around the margins, we are looking for things that are bespoke. If something's a hit, it could sit across different channels. And, and when you're being pitched stuff, the really great ideas are self-evident from the beginning you know you can sell them in one line you do know in the room that you want to commission them and I think as a producer when you've developed an idea like that you often know they often know that they've developed it and I don't see why they shouldn't be able to speak to more than one commissioner as long as they're transparent uh, I don't think we should be overly precious about that if people are sitting on a great format they should be able to take it to a number of channels so long as they're transparent about what's happening what's your view on that cat? 
I totally agree and I think that's one aspect of the American marketplace that it would be great to have here because I just think that um, it is about relationships, it's about transparency as Alison says but you know the reality is that, that sometimes we do you know have to when we're running an indie send an idea you know we often have you know to be honest timescales on ideas and I think if it was kind of seen as culturally acceptable to send the same idea to a number of broadcasters at the same time and get their feedback that would be an improvement for our marketplace. It would also force commissioners to do what we all I think now accept has to become standard practice which is the quicker nose don't people leaving hanging with the maybes and there's a real imperative around it if you know that other broadcasters are looking at the ideas so you need to make quicker decisions Alison I mean you, what about David I mean it was a sort of love letter to the to the PSB model that must have been music to your ears at the BBC yeah. I mean and he was very warm about the BBC as well I mean, maybe perhaps not warm but I mean he certainly there might have been some expectation he might have gone after the BBC a bit, but that ne- that never materialised. Well, he said plenty to admire about the BBC, didn't he? It was a pretty, uh, it was a thumbs up from David for the BBC. Is that all good from your point of view? It's interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of debate going on about the BBC. We know we're coming up for charter renewal. There will be lots of difficult issues that will have to be thrashed through, particularly given what Tony Hall and, and Danny are proposing uh, in terms of in-house. I do think that sometimes we need to step away from the detail of uh, the discussions and step back and, and, and be proud of the fact that we have public service broadcasting in the UK. And it's something that we should all be proud of and grateful for. Fundamentally, are we in favour of public service broadcasting? And I would hope and I would think that most people who are here are. Kat, just picking up on uh, Alison's point there about in-house and the plans at the BBC, there's been a session today uh, about uh, BBC being the new super indie. Pact has also published a report saying that BBC in-house should be completely dismantled. <laughs> Actually, what is that, I mean, you're on the Pact Council. Uh, yes. what, I mean, this is a pretty punchy report, which Danny Cohen has reacted a bit angrily to. I think that the report, if people read it, is incredibly clever. I know that Danny picked up on the figures and it's true that some of those have had to be extrapolated, but that often happens in economic reports, you know, looking at particular organisations. It doesn't actually say that the BBC should become a publisher broadcaster. That was a slight kind of misinterpretation in terms of the cha- uh, of, of the way that the debate went within the session. It's a very important report, and anybody who works in telly, I think, should read it. There's a lot of you know really clever stuff in there. You know, I personally have publicly said that I actually support you know Tony and and Danny and also Pat, who originally you know came up with these ideas or certainly went public with the ideas. And I do feel Pat should get that credit because that often seems to be lost these days when the, when the matter's debated. I was surprised. Uh, I mean, it was. It was. I agree with you, Chris. It was a good tetchy panel. Uh, it was interesting, but I was surprised to hear John McVeigh's reaction. You know, they are proposing something which is extraordinarily radical. Uh, it's really opening up uh, BBC commissioning to uh, broad competition uh, in a way that I think people didn't predict or imagine might happen. And I would have thought that that would have been welcomed by the indie community. I think it's fascinating that what we're getting now is we're starting to get, and I think more will come in the next few months, the detail of how this thing is actually going to work. Um, There was a good point made in that session about um, pricing of shows. How is the BBC going to work out how much it should should pay BBC Productions for Antiques Roadshow? Uh, presumably Which, by the way, is phenomenally good value. You know, uh, that was an interesting one to cite because mm. I would, 
you know, and I'm not going to talk about specific numbers here, but uh, on, I, you know, no numbers. indie should sit and think that they could make Antiques Roadshow and, and, and cream off a lot of profit for that. Show. I mean, that is phenomenally good. These shows, Country File, Antiques Roadshow, their budgets are very, very tight. But, but if you're BBC Productions and you're going to be a separate um, commercial entity, you'll all of a sudden be needing to make a profit margin um, in your contract for that. So it's going to get very complicated, yeah. very, very a bit, a bit like the way that. Um, ITV has to work out ultimately how much it pays ITV studios for Coronation Street. So these things are going to get very complicated. Um, I think one important point is we've just talked about profit there in relation to BBC in-house. At the moment, we don't even know what structure the new in-house is going to have. I would imagine what I would do is set it up as a non-for-profit company. You can set up a limited company that's not for profit, and that should be the way that it goes because that fits in with its culture uh, as a you know a public service broadcaster. What's worrying to um, the independent community, although on the whole everybody totally welcomes this, obviously. Um, but what's worrying is just if the BBC becomes effectively a government-subsidised competitor to us. That's what's worrying. You know? And I think what's very important is that at the moment in the independent sector, we don't know, you know any of the figures for any of the in-house productions. We've asked for them. Those figures have never been published. And you know, they talk now, Tony and Danny have talked very much about being transparent and, and that's incredibly important to the whole kind of success of, of the scheme moving forward. And just sticking with not-for-profit, let's come back to Channel 4 briefly before we move on. Uh, David obviously set out his plans for the growth fund, uh, investments in four new indies. There, again, there seems to be a bit of a mixed response to this strategy, doesn't there, Chris? It would have been helpful for Channel 4, I think, if in those four, first four deals that they announced, Pop, Popcorn is a, is a relatively small indie and Lightbox isn't terribly well known, but it's relatively established. It would have been helpful for Channel 4 if there had been another, at least one, small emerging uh, company that, that felt like they were backing really fledgling talent. I think, listen, John Smithman and, and Tom Brisley, those guys are the cream of the crop when it comes to specialist factual content around the world. This but is Arrow Media. This is Channel 4. This, always, is, this so is Arrow Media and they've, they've received the backing and, and, and no one would um, in the indie community or indeed at rival broadcasters I think would, would begrudge them that. But the way that it's played out here is I think it feels a bit like they took some safe bets with the, with the growth fund. And the way it was originally conceived was about reseeding the true indie, the true indie sector. And so I think David's point is that we'll have to wait and see as the, the portfolio is built. They'll invest in a Scottish or, or a Welsh or a Northern Irish company pretty soon. That's almost certain. I'm sure they'll invest in a, in a BAME-led um, uh, indie pretty soon. They will build up that portfolio. But just that initial tranche of deals hasn't played terribly well. Okay, while we're talking about the Growth Fund, uh, David took the opportunity to flash up some images uh, of Channel 4's new indie partners. Uh, it prompted some grumbles that all of the people featured were white, while others said that the issue of diversity felt slightly tagged on in his speech. What's clear, though, is that the issue is here to stay, and it feels like the broadcasters are keen to show they are taking action rather than talking action. Channel 4 will set out its plans later this year, while Sky revealed this week that 20% of the stars and writers of its UK-originated TV shows will come from a black, Asian or minority ethnic background. Chris, it feels like the conversation has moved on from sort of angry frustration to pragmatism. The really important thing that's happened, I think, is we're finally going to get proper monitoring. And it sounds slightly dry and slightly boring and this thing called Silver Mouse. But actually, there was a debate during the session. 
effectively became a to quota or not to quota debate. And you know what? I don't think people care whether there are quotas or not as long as there's change. And what the monitoring will do, what Silvermouse will do, will it mean that you can see, you'll, you'll be able to judge performance. And a year from now, no one, none of those channel controllers are going to want to sit up on a stage and have come bottom of the of the league table when it comes to diversity. Some fun little stats in that is TV racist session. More covers of the Radio Times feature Daleks than people from ethnic minority backgrounds. More commissioners called Dave than those from diverse backgrounds. I mean, this, this is going to change, isn't it? It's got to change. I think it's got to change. But to be honest, for those of us that have been in the industry a very long time, this has been talked about for ages. You know, the hideously white comment that Greg Dyke made was in January 2001. That's 13 and a half years ago. And nothing much has changed since to improve matters. It's actually got worse, you know, and we all know that. And it, this is something that's incredibly important to me. And I just hope that these initiatives work. I really support Stuart's 20%. And I also support the development fund that the BBC have set up. And I hope that Channel 4 makes you know, some, some similar big statement. Because I've just come back from two weeks in Miami. And you watch telly there. And it's a totally different experience. I mean, the telly all seems to be made aimed at 14-year-old boys, quite frankly. But in terms of diversity, it's brilliant. And the adverts as well. And that's how it should be on British telly. How much does this occupy your thinking, Alison? No, it's a huge issue at the BBC, which is... Uh, uh, you know, debated uh, all the time. Um, we're just not reflecting our audiences back to themselves and it's got to change. And it does feel like there is a sea change, that it's, it's not just something that's being talked about anymore. And in fact, I think this is where Edinburgh's really useful. It can call the industry to account. It feels like it's working really positively to call the industry to account on issues like BAME, on issues like, you know, commissioning. And I agree with what Chris said. You know, fundamentally, the channel controllers don't want to be sitting here next year having been monitored much uh, more closely and, and not have improved. Uh, we've got to do better. So, yeah. Do you think there will be change next year? Yes, we, I think there has to be. Uh, and it's good to hear Kat say that she feels just as strongly because we can't do it. The channels and the commissioners can't do it by themselves. We have to do it with the uh, indies. We have to work with them both in terms of on-screen representation, but also in terms of um, production, representation in terms of production staff. So um, it's challenging, but it, I, I really, really feel like it is going to change now. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's something that um, there's, there's lots of different initiatives happening at the moment. And the um, Creative Diversity Network has been totally reassessing the way that they work as well. I think that Michael Foster's Creative Access is an excellent scheme. PACT have also got an access scheme. But to me, it, it is, you know, it's got to be a combination, as Alison says, of the broadcasters and the independents working together. And certainly I think everyone wants to do it. Okay, moving on. Uh, before we head off, I thought we'd uh, take a walk through some of the big commissioning announcements this week. Uh, I'll round them up in a one-line pitch for you listeners, and our esteemed panel will uh, provide their thoughts. So first up, uh, Sky One is to send punters herring round a woodland obstacle course dressed as giant squirrels, badgers and foxes for a new uh, physical game show. It's called Wild Things and is made by IWC and Mad Monk, which is behind uh, Banzai. Chris, this is evocative of It's a Knockout. I don't. I really, genuinely don't know quite what to say. Um, what I, I like the, I like it when shows are commissioned that are not like other things on TV. So big tick on that front. I think there's probably a reason there's not much like this on TV. But uh, let's wait and see. <laughs> Sounds like a kid show to me. I wouldn't watch it if I was going to watch a show about triathlons or Iron Men. It would be to watch the muscles, and you're not going to see them, are you? What do you reckon, Alison? Something you commission? My kids will love it. I'll be watching it with my sons. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're going for, though. 
I mean, you don't see much of it on telly these days. Total Wipeout, that, that's something similar, perhaps. Yeah, there was a big, there was a big sort of physical game show thing, wasn't there? A, little, a few it seems like a year ago or eighteen months ago. The, the level of detail we have at the moment is very difficult to make uh, too many yeah. judgments. It is, it is interesting. I, I'd be interested to know the audience thereafter. I was just in Peter Fincham's session, and. Um, he got a little bit of stick because he chose as his channel defining program Saturday Night Takeaway and I thought his riposte was really good about the importance of family entertainment and that sometimes again we over intellectualise we denigrate the mainstream um, so it, you know if they are doing a bit more family entertainment I think that's a good thing and Chris this, I, I think you like this one Renegade Pictures is to use a fixed rig uh, to capture life in an Ethiopian tribe uh, for a series of Channel 4 yeah, I mean, I like, I generally like fixed rig stuff, um, and I know that uh, the garden, who were sort of the pioneers in this, were um, working on a very similar idea and were quite optimistic and hopeful about it, and then um, went in to have their meeting at uh, Channel 4 to be told that uh, they'd been beaten to the punch. Um, I just think it'll be a really interesting that they're trying to find a new, different, distinctive way of doing that kind of anthropology dock and the rig and that sort of unobtrusive way of filming hopefully will give it a, a really interesting new spin. Do you get lots of fixed rig pictures Alison? Yes it's funny uh, you know when when uh, something is done really well it can almost become a category killer and you know I don't think we can go into fixed rig without really innovating around it. I admire that this feels like it's taking the fixed rig somewhere different quite literally um, it's intriguing I'm interested to see how it will work. I mean, at, at its best, what you hope it could capture is the same sort of thing that Gogglebox captures, that you, we can live in very different places and come from very different backgrounds, and actually the universality of things is what makes telly often quite moving. No one speaks English, presumably, which might be a challenge, but we'll see. So, you, I mean, you think that Fixed Rig is very much Channel 4's territory? Not exclusively, but I think there are some really defining Fixed Rig brands on Channel 4, and I just feel as a commissioner, when something has worked very well in an iconic, defining way, you can't just follow on. You've got to move it forwards or you shouldn't do it. Is this something you develop, Pat? I, I think it's a, it sounds really interesting, like a reinvention of Disappearing World, you know, for, for 2015. But I have to say that I hope it's also got the humour um, of a programme like, you know, the Welcome To series, the Welcome To Lagos, etc. Because my worry is that it could be terribly dry. Or how do we interpret, you know? I, there's a lot of challenges there, but I think it sounds really authentic and interesting. OK, one to look out for. Finally, uh, BBC Two is preparing to launch what it claims is Britain's first transgender sitcom with Tiger Aspect's Boy Meets Girl. This is uh, diversity in action, isn't it? Do you know what? I think it's just a, a good example of if you can make a, a, a comedy, if you can make a funny piece about serious topics or topics that aren't and obviously lend themselves to comedy, difficult balance to strike, but if you can do it, it can work in, you know, incredibly well. So um, as ever, it'll be all about the script and, 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 and the, the quality of the writing. But uh, again, something you'd, you'd be interested, keen to, to tune in and see uh, how it goes. Does this give us some insight on, on, on Kim's strategy, Alison, in terms of her pushing the boundaries a bit and, and taking BBC Two in a different direction? I think she'll be a really brave controller. She seems really up for taking risks, which is exciting. So I think you, I, I don't think it's going to radically do a sort of handbrake turn as a channel, but I think you'll see new different stuff coming through. And what do you make of it, Kat? 
I'll definitely watch it. You know, it sounds fantastic. We're actually doing um, CBBC's first ever documentary about a transgender child who's on um, hormone blocking treatment. And um, obviously it's something that we're having to deal with extremely sensitively at every stage. But equally, it's incredibly important because children aren't born with prejudice. And if you can communicate, you know, a very important message that some people are born feeling that they're in the wrong body to children, then hopefully that will help break down a lot of barriers because people from the transgender community as young people are one of the highest groups in terms of suicide and attempted suicide so these programs are very important all right we shall leave it there for this episode check out broadcastnow.co.uk for in-depth coverage of the festival and much more besides we'll be back at maple street studios in a fortnight with a producer interview and some previews i've been jake Cantor, and the producer was matt hill goodbye for now